we're going to dig into it, just a little parable that you've probably heard a hundred times. But God's always got something new, hasn't he? God's always got some other little angle in a passage and none of them, I suppose, are the right answer. It's all together. It's how, how God is teaching us all. So that's the wonder of God's word. He's, he's always going to teach us something. Let's pray again. Father, we just commit ourselves to your word, to your spirit. And ask that, Lord, you, you speak to us through your word as we study it today, as we, as we compare things, as we share things. And, Lord, that we leave this place different in our thinking, different, in, different towards you in our heart. And, uh, Lord, the better for you as ambassadors in this world. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Um, our boys, when they were young, and it's, it's getting quite a while now, um, you know, used to come home from school and, and they'd be talking about a certain person and they'd say, oh, Dad, that's, that guy's just a try hard. You ever heard that before? What's a try hard? This, this guy's just a try hard. What's it mean? You know, it's a, it's, a, it's a saying, I suppose, a colloquial thing we say about other people, but what are we actually saying in, in real, real terms? I looked it up in the dictionary and I was quite surprised because it, I, in my mind it has a negative connotation, doesn't it? Um, and we usually use it for that reason. But being a tryhard, who wants to be one? Right? <laughs> and and I've, I've entitled my sermon... I don't want to be a tryhard. I don't want my boys coming home and saying, Dad, you've just been a tryhard. Um, but in the dictionary, it actually says that somebody places an excess amount of emotion and, I suppose, drive into something that's not really warranted. It's like those times when you go to the golf course or you're playing a game of sport and somebody is being a try-hard. You know, they're playing for sheep stations. And, and there's no sheep stations up for grabs. Um, it's about putting in an excessive of emotion and drive that the situation doesn't warrant. All right? Now, I'm going to talk about that in a spiritual way because I believe it's possible... And I love this story that you just told. We're going to come back to that. That's a beautiful story. Um, we're going to talk about being a spiritual tryhard. Who wants to be a spiritual tryhard? <laughs> oh, dear. I'm in trouble. I saw some hands. Okay. Matthew 25. Let's dig into this passage. Matthew 25 is a very important passage because Matthew 25 begins, if you've got a Bible, let's, let's get them out, if it's a device or whatever, turn it on. Matthew 25 is a series of three parables and you know what, I'm not going to tell you what it's telling you. I want you to find out what it's saying. In other words, what is God telling you in this passage? So... Matthew 25, who's got a New Living Version? 
Anybody? What are the first three words in the New Living Version of Matthew chapter 25? Hmm? Then the kingdom. That's a different version. <laughs> Is it? Then the kingdom. Will be like. Then. Now, there, there is another version. I thought it was an NIV that, that begins with at that time. Who's got that one? What version is that? It is the NIV. At that time. Hmm? Someone's changed it. <laughs> you had me confused there for a bit. It begins with what? At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like. Okay. What time is that? What's Matthew 24 all about? It's about the second coming. It's about the end of the world because that's the question the disciples ask. When, when is the end of the world? Okay. That piece is important. Why? I'm sort of labouring that a bit. We're in it. This is a message for us. This little passage... Is Jesus talking to us about how we do ministry at the end of time? Now, I'd like to unpack and do three sermons here. <laughs> we haven't got time, but the first one is about wise virgins and foolish virgins. Who wants to be a foolish virgin? That's like asking, do I want to be a, <laughs> a tryhard? Um, nobody Nobody wants to be foolish. And, and I think the first story, when it comes to what Jesus is asking us to be at the end of time, is he wants us to be wise virgins. In that story, what do wives, wise virgins do? Hmm? They're prepared. They're prepared. Now, I, I'm not going to spoil it. There's something in that parable that most people get wrong. They say the foolish virgins have not enough oil. Theologically, we've got a problem there. Wise virgins had oil in their vessel because they never carried it in their lamp. It would spill. It was usually one with a rod and a little lamp up top and they'd carry it on their hip in a vessel. And Jesus is using that story to indicate that the wise virgins didn't assume that the bridegroom was going to come in daylight hours and they took oil. They were prepared for the long they didn't make assumptions about what God was going to do and how long that would take and what's the oil it's the Holy Spirit they remained faithfully connected to the vine because the next two parables talk about fruit what's a branch like that's not connected to the vine. Well, it's probably going to look like a tryhard. We're getting there. 
So the first parable is Jesus saying, those that wait, who's sick of waiting for Jesus to come? I certainly am. But those that wait, stay connected. They have oil in their vessel. And that's special. That sets them apart. And guess what? All those virgins are all waiting for Jesus. They're waiting for the bridegroom. So sitting in the kingdom of heaven, because that's what Jesus is talking about, in the church, in the community of Christ, there are going to be wise virgins and there's going to be foolish virgins. Some are going to be connected. Some are disconnected of a fashion at least. The second parable is about what Jesus asks us to do and to be. And that is what? Take what God has given you and invest it for him. Do it to the best of your ability. In that sense, you can be a tryhard. Run with passion. This kid, at age six, just saw a need and he just went for it with a passion. And it was catchy and it's infectious. It, it won me. How about you? You know, it changes me. That sort of passion. And, and I love working with Christians that are full of passion because I know it comes from the first of those parables. It's the Holy Spirit driving the person to express that. And I don't believe that's a try hard. That's coming from the right motivation if I can say that and so we get to the last parable and it's in chapter 25 begins in verse 31 when the son of man comes in his glory so we're right at the end here right and all the holy angels with him then he will sit on the throne of his glory and all nations will be gathered before him and he will separate one from the other like we've got sheep and we've got goats, and we've got wheat, and we've got tares. Okay, so Jesus has often talked about two groups at the end, and so we're talking about judgment here. All the nations will be gathered before him. He will separate one from another as the sheep divides, or the, as the shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. They run together, but they're separated at harvest or if you like, when they come home. And he set the sheep on the right hand, but the goats on the left. And then the king will say to those on his right, who's on the right? It's the sheep. Come, blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you and from the foundation of the world. Okay. Jesus has set us up, hasn't he? What side do you want to be on? Obviously on the right. <laughs> you're okay, you're going to be right. He didn't say what's going to happen to the goats, so did he? We're set up. We, we automatically in this story want to say, I want to be a sheep. Ba ba ba, but there's a song about that, isn't it? I want to be a sheep. I want to be on that right. 
And then Jesus starts to unpack what makes a sheep and what makes a goat. And this is my question to you. And I'm not going to tell you, okay? For the sake of time, we've got to find this fast, all right? He goes on. Verse 35, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. How many things are there? Did you count them up? Sometimes those things are important in a story. How many things? Six. There's six. And I think that's, again, this is, this is man's stuff, isn't it? You know, six being the number of man. It's the day he's created. Revelation talks about a, a beast, 666. You know, that, that features too. It's the number of a man that wants to be like God. So this is, this is a significant number in the passage. This is something that man is doing for man. And you know what? I've heard a thousand sermons. <laughs> Probably not that many, I like to exaggerate. I've heard a lot of sermons about those that are waiting for Jesus to come will be doing this. You agree? Is it important that we do all of the things that Jesus has said there? It is important. But sadly, <laughs> years ago... I might add, we don't do it so much these days. We used to sit in Sabbath school and someone out the front would say, how many persons did you help? Those that are old enough will know this, this happened. And you put your hand up. And some that were really keen would go, four, <laughs> ten, twenty, you know. Because someone was recording that stuff. It's the metric obsess and God doing what he does but is that consistent with our story because there's something in here that that I want to emerge that you're going to go wow Jesus is giving us the difference between sheep and goats they're all in the flock they're all together under the shepherd they're all eating the same grass. They're, they're all going out into the same places, you know, besides still waters and all the rest that shepherds do. But there's some sheep and there's some goats in the pack. What's the difference? Because Jesus says that to the sheep, and he says exactly the same things. Exactly the same things to the goats. But it's in their answer that we have the difference. Isn't it funny how when people are doing the wrong thing, they condemn themselves. God doesn't have to condemn any of us. We condemn ourselves. And the goats do it well. So what I want you to do is spend two minutes. I'm not giving you long, am I? Um, talk to someone beside you. Verse 37. 
Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Because Jesus has just told them that's what they did. And they're saying, when? I don't remember that. And Jesus said, yeah, every time you did it, you were doing it to me. And they're surprised. They're surprised. And then he turns to the goats. Uh-uh. And he said, I want you to uh, depart from me, verse 41. You cursed into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and the angels. Are they surprised? How would you feel if that was pronounced upon you? It doesn't sound good, does it? Poor tryhards. Hmm? <laughs> Don't be a... So tell me, how do they condemn themselves? Read their answer. There's only two words different. Only two. Jesus is a master teacher. Those that are not particularly observant will assume something that is not in the text. But if we read the answer of sheep and we read the answer of goats, there's two words different, at least in my King James Version. Or New King James. Tell me what the goats say that condemn them. Let, let me ask a more simple question. Read their answer. What verse was it? 42. Did I say that? 44. And they will also answer, it says. What's the only two words that are different? That's a difficult question because every version's said differently. When did? Who said that? Top of the class. Is it a class? No. God has revealed something wonderful to you. What is that saying? Because they could have, you know, they end up in outer darkness. It's not, not pretty. How important is this for us to determine what makes a goat? Who, by the way, is a tryhard. What are they surprised about? That's, that's the big question. But the question before that is, do you think the goats were doing the same thing the sheep were? Because Jesus is going way deep here. He's given three parables that have got a lot of depth of meaning. We get this, we go home. Yeah, well, according to their answer, are they doing the same things as the sheep to an observer on the outside? They think they are. So, they look like they are doing the same things. 
Who thinks they, the, the goats were helping those in prison and all of that stuff? Put your hand up. It's not a trick question, all right? <laughs> Who thinks the goats were actually doing all of those good things? And obviously they are. They're important. But as our brother said up the back here, they're surprised. Now, the easy question is, why are the sheep surprised? It was part of their everyday life. And what are they surprised about? That they did any of this stuff. <laughs> when did we see you? When? I don't remember doing that. We, we, we'll come back to that because that's, that's sheepish behaviour. I like it. What are the goats doing? They're surprised that they saw people in prison, hungry by the road or whatever, and did not minister to you. What's that tell you? They weren't seeing Jesus in those people? Yeah. This is fundamental to Christian living. Fundamental to living between salvation and the, and, and the coming of Jesus. As I call it, between the cross and the coming. There, there is a space of time that each of us are living in. And this is critical to understand what Jesus is talking about, particularly in this third parable. Because the first one is the power that leads you to express your gifts in the talent story. And this one, wow, it drills very deep. It goes below all of that and talks about attitude. It talks about motive. Those things are very difficult for us to understand, for us to see in each other. And so the sheep and the goats look the same. They're all doing the same things. Just as the wheat and the tares look the same, the sheep and the goats look the same. But at judgment, Jesus puts sheep there and they go, how come? And the goats, he puts there. What's the other way to you? <laughs> no, that is the left. He puts the goats there and he says, no, I didn't know you. And they're surprised that they missed one. Do you think they're on a works trip? Do you think they're tryhards? They're trying to do all the right things for the wrong reasons. Does this make sense? Now, we use this parable often, many, many times, to talk about what God wants us to do while we wait. And it's true. But that's not the bottom line to this parable. The bottom line is, this is what we do, but how we do it is more important 
Why we do it is more important. The big why question is answered here. Is it possible that foolish virgins, parable one, can use their gifts, parable two, for the wrong reasons? They look the same, but there's something underlying there that's not right. Do you think so? And that's what Jesus is drilling at. Now I'm going to go a little bit wider than these six things that are mentioned here. Because sadly, between the cross and the coming, you know, when I say the cross, when I accept that Jesus Christ has died for my sin, I'm set free. My sins are forgiven. And I get up from my knees and I journey on and I am constantly attracted and this is a very selfish, self-centred attitude that I was born with, that Paul said is like a dead body on his back. I'm constantly... It's like a gravitational pull on my life. I'm constantly trying to do what's right now and do it myself and do it my way. But you read the text like Philippians 2.13 that says what? It is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Does that sound like sheep? There's a connection with the Spirit that drives them to do God's will and to be his good pleasure wherever they go and they don't even know they're doing it. Does that sound like true freedom to you? I see a lot of Christians that are obsessed with the things that they're doing that they shouldn't be doing. That sounds like Romans 5, doesn't it? The things I want to do, I'm not doing. And the things I don't want to do, I find myself doing. And Paul, at the end of all of that, says, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of death. Thanks be to Jesus Christ. Connect to the vine. Open up your life to let God use you. And he will use you when you won't even know it. In another story, I'm going to take two minutes for this. Jesus talks about people. He says no one in the dressmaking world gets a new garment and tears patches out of it and sticks it on their own. The old garment. It's pre-shrunk, it's been around for a while. New cloth, in those days at least, used to shrink a lot the first time you washed it. These days it's not so bad, because they treat that before we get it. But back in those days it would shrink, and he says, nobody in the dressmaking world takes a new garment and tears a patch out of that and puts it on their old garment um, why? It tears. And it looks ridiculous, to be honest. Can you imagine it? <laughs> it looks stupid. 
And I've got a feeling that sheep take this garment which represents the life of Jesus Christ, his beautiful gift of salvation. It's his life of, you know, it's not just his death that is valuable to us, it's his life as well. Because Jesus says, I died for your sins, but I also give you my life. He said, I want you to wear that. Don't take patches off it and put it on your own. That's a bit of a sheepish thing to do, isn't it? Uh, A bit of a goatish thing to do. He says, I want you to take it and wear it and let it be who you are. You know, I've been reading a lot just recently. um, And it's really challenged me. It's called The Table I Long For. Adventist pastor in North America wrote it. And he says, as Christians, we've been doing too much for the wrong reasons. And when it comes to evangelism, it's really hit hard at me because we do. We poke little bits of literature at people. We have these conversations on the street and we use our Bibles as a battering ram. And I'm, I'm talking very generally here, you know, and we hit people with the truth. They just want to hear about love. Yes, the truth matters, but there's a time and a place for that. And it's not when we first meet people. It's not when we're in the prisons and when people are thirsty, when people are hungry, that we hit them with the Bible. We give them a drink. We give them real food. And it comes out of a pure heart that's driven like our young guy on the the screen here in the story. Ryan. He just saw a need and God stirred up his heart and he went for it. And it was catchy. It was a mission. And there was this incredible outflow because he let the vine <laughs> flow through the talents. He's obviously a talented kid. You know, as he gets older, you can see it. He's a talented kid. But it was done from a very pure heart. And when he gets to heaven, Jesus is going to say, enter in. When did you do that stuff? Well, they've made a song and dance about it now. <laughs> But he he just thought he was helping people. People like him in another school. Is that the sort of mission that God wants us to get engaged in? Doing everyday people, doing ordinary things, but with a heart for intentionality, and that is to serve. So who wants to be a try-hard? I can say that there's two meanings there, isn't there? God wants us to be passionate, but it's his passion. It's his drive. God's calling us all to disciple those around us. How do we do it? We connect to the vine. We use the gifts that God has given to us. And it just flows naturally. 
And I've always said to people, particularly in ministry in church, if what you're doing in church is killing you, there can be two reasons here. If what you're doing in church is killing you, is killing you, then you're probably in the wrong hole. <laughs> you're doing the wrong thing. You're not matching your gifts. Or you might be doing it like a goat. When it comes to serving others, if it's a chore for you, it's probably a goatish behaviour. It's a try hard. You know, the beautiful thing about the Christian experience is to just open up your life and God and, and say to God, You got me today. Take me. You know where I'm going. You know the people around me. May I be the kingdom of heaven in their presence. Instead of me trying to do, may I be the kingdom of heaven. We get so hung up on doing something for God when all he wants us to do is to be the kingdom of heaven. Expand that beautiful kingdom around you. Express my love. Change the world. Like Ryan. Let's pray. Jesus, you knew our hearts at the end of time. You know the self-centered heart of humanity too well. Father, forgive us of trying to do that which you want to do through us. Father, I pray that each one of us, as we live the kingdom of heaven this week, may you be so enamored in our life May we be so immersed in your spirit that you will take what we are and you will express your loving heart and kind and helpful acts through us. Father, may we be just be the skin on the face of God. May we just be the, the hands and the feet of a God ministering to those that need it. May it just be natural because you are naturally in us. Father, as we ponder our motives, as we ponder the drives that make us do things, Father, may we, may we understand that without you, we can do nothing. Impress upon our hearts. Lord, that your kingdom has already come. We are already living in your kingdom. May we express that by letting you do it in our hearts. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.